Christianity at its core is, this is what it means to be a human being. I want to describe who you are to yourself so that you can understand why you do what you do and where you're at. And then I'm going to tell you about who I am. Jesus says, this is who I am. And this is why I came in order to fix that, that causes all of your individual problems and taint your soul. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicating to helping you learn and grow in your spiritual walk and your critical thinking skills. We are here to be your guides. Ultimately, you have to take that journey on your own, but we are here to be sages, sounding boards, and sometimes comedians to help you <laughs> along your journey in life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to be here again with you today, right before Christmas season. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing over the last year and a half, I believe this is our 150th episode. 150 episodes. Yeah, that's 75 hours of talking. That is so much talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of talking. But one of the things that uh, is the hallmark of the Salty Pastor, the hallmark of my ministry and the entire team here at Foothills is that our goal is to help you grow in your faith so that you know what you believe, why you believe it. Because if you want strength, if you want courage, if you, if you want to have a character that allows you to not only survive, but thrive in the world in which we live, the ultimate reality, then you're going to need to have more faith, not less faith. You mm -hmm. need more convictions, not less convictions. You need to have more truth, not less truth. You need more moral clarity, not less moral clarity. It's the people who have these things who are the strongest, the most confident, the most courageous people. They know why they're here. They know the purpose of their life. They know the point of their life. They understand the ultimate reality in which we live. They understand, oh, this is what a human being really is. Mm. Not under the silly stuff that the world keeps trying to convince us, but I know what a real human being is. And that is I'm created in the image of God, but I've been tainted by sin. And until I deal with that taint, like a cancer and get rid of it, get myself in remission, which is righteousness, then I'm never going to discover who I'm truly meant to be, how to truly live life. I'll never experience real love. I'll never experience authentic joy. And I'll never have the peace that surpasses all understanding and experience relationships at a level of security that I never imagined. And so my trust goes up, my belief goes up. And so the world is trying to convince us to have less of this, less of that, be more malleable, be more, uh, have fewer convictions. Just go with the flow. Go, yeah. Have fewer truths, have no truths. And then your life will be better is a bunch of absolute hogwash, toilet water, urinal mint thinking that we need to get rid of in this world right now. Now, and so we're studying Christmas in order to show us how to have joy. Urinal mints and Christmas in the same sentence, Pastor. I think you're the only one that can pull that off. Only me can <laughs> urinal mints and Christmas in the same <laughs> sentence. I love it. Well, we are in our series titled Jesus is Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the main point of this whole series is if you remove Jesus, 
can we still have Christmas? That is the mm-hmm. question we are debating this season. And can humidity, humanity, not humidity, it's freezing <laughs> today, actually. There's no humidity. Uh, can humanity become more joyful, discover more meaning and purpose? And on mm-hmm. Tuesday, we, we focused on the wise men or the magi, um, as they're called, who come from the East to worship the baby Jesus. And it was interesting to note that the Jewish leaders who spend all their time studying the scriptures, studying the prophecy about the Messiah, miss it. And these guys that don't really know anything about the prophecy are like, hey, we think something big's happening. You guys should maybe pay attention. You should pay attention. (laughs) So let's dive into that. What does that mean? Well, it's easy, I think, that what this illustrated for us, what we kind of learned on Tuesday, is that it's really easy for people to be driven more by a frame of reference or an ideology than what is actually truthful. Mm. In other words, we can have all these facts, but we, we don't interpret facts anymore just in light of the facts. Our ideology drives the interpretation of the facts. And this is how happening more and more, even in the sciences, even in the sciences today in Western cultures. And the reason why is because of postmodernism and postmodernism denies any all objective truth. Now, the interesting outflow of this is that once you remove any potential for objective truth, then it's just your ideology that drives you. And that ultimately ends up removing all the joy out of your life. Because what you've done, basically, is you have removed the capacity for joy to occur. Uh, case, uh, kind of a way to illustrate this is, uh, back in 2016, I went on sabbatical for about three or four months, and I have a cousin who has a house in the mountains of Italy, right there close to the kind of the west coast, just north of Pisa. Mm-hmm. And so... We're up there in this house and I'm trying to figure out how to cook, you know, cause you got to cook food and you can't eat out every meal. It's just right. outrageously expensive for five people. So we go and I go, you know, I'd like to bake some bread because I'm not really a fan of the Italian breads. They tend to be hard, crusty breads. They don't salt their breads. I'm like, I need some good old American bread. <laughs> so, so white uh, yeah. <laughs> wonder bread is what you're looking you know, for, soft I believe. and fluffy <laughs> with some salt in it. I just think, yeah, bread is meant to have butter on it, not used to lop up that Italian gravy soup and, soup and stuff. Yeah. So anyway, I went there and I bought, I bought some, uh, some flour, you know, Zach and I went to the store, we bought some flour and then we bring it home. And so I put it in there and I do all the stuff and then I'm, you know, I put yeast in it and stuff and I'm waiting for it to rise and it will never rise. It never, I, and then I bake it. It was hard and thick. And I was like, man, this is crazy. So I, that was one of the big frustrations of my life in Italy is that I couldn't bake bread. So I get home and something propped up and I looked on, uh, this thing about baking bread or buying flour in Italy or something like that, uh, is right after we got back. And there was an article in there that says, now, when you go to the store and buy flour, you know, the thing you have to realize is uh, Italians, make multiple kinds of flowers and one very important flower to them is pizza crust flower. Okay. <laughs> and pizza crust flower is designed to not rise. Even if you put yeast in it and guess what flower we bought pizza crust, pizza crust flour so you had and pizza bread. Yeah. I had pizza bread. You know, <laughs> I said, that's all I had. I go, that's it is I got the wrong flower. So it never rose. If you don't have objective truth, you'll never have joy. 
Mm. It will never rise up in your life because you're using flour that cannot rise. It's designed not to rise. When you get rid of objective truth, people who do this have one goal in mind, and that is to create chaos. They say the opposite. But when you read what they write, you end up realizing it's about nihilism. It's all about meaninglessness. And that's what they want. That's their goal. That's their frame of reference. So what does the wise men tell us? Is that even in religious communities, people can be driven more by ideology than they can be driven by truth. And the objective truth is this. Christmas story is about God leaving heaven to come to people in order to redeem them, to help save them from the taint, mm. right? So that they can become who they were meant to be. Like Jesus was the most fully human being, right? That has ever walked the face of the earth. When you look at Jesus, you go, dude, that guy, man, he was a full human being. We all aspire to that. It's the highest ideals of what it means to be a human being. And in doing that, that basic truth right there, the objective truth of the Christmas story elevates the individual. It absolutely elevates the value of the individual. It elevates the value of Jesse, of Doug, of uh, the people who work on your staff, you know, Finn or Jeremy or whoever. It elevates every single, it elevates the value of the homeless person dealing with a mental illness and drug addiction that sleeps under a bridge. It raises the value of the person who's the president of the United States and everything, every person in between. And so it is that principle of the gospel that we celebrate on Christmas at its core and it's purity. Mm. So, and what that does is that weaves its way out into the hearts and minds of people until you see massive movements. Where do you think the principle of individual sovereignty comes from? You know, it doesn't come from, it doesn't come from a world that is, uh, uh, Postmodern. What happens is is that the principle of individual sovereignty comes from this elevation of individuals as valuable in the eyes of God. You matter to God, right? You matter to God, and that's what individual sovereignty is based on. That each human being has a soul. Okay. So, so let's just say for an instance, you know, just recently in our society, people are saying, well, uh, these lives matter, you know, uh, gay lives matter or transgendered lives matter, black lives mattered or Asian lives mattered. And, you know, and then there became a debate that, well, if you say all lives matter, then that gets rid of something else. And we talked about this early on in mm. the podcasting back in those early episodes when we started podcasting a year and a half ago, and that was simply this is that in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter what you think about yourself or how you identify yourself. So maybe you think yourself, well, I'm a gay person and that's how I want to identify. You may think of yourself, well, this is my ethnicity. You know, I'm an Asian. I'm, you know, I'm an American Indian. Um, I'm, uh, maybe, uh, an Asian person. Maybe I'm, a. a person from Africa. So I'm African American, maybe I'm black. So I'm black. I mean, maybe I'm Hispanic or Latino. And you, if, if you, however you identify, you have to start from the premise that you matter to God. So everybody matters to God. So as a Christian, we can't, you know, say one group matters to God more than the other. Then we've departed from the gospel. 
Mm. So we've departed. So, and we talked about this early on. You can go back and listen to those uh, episodes early on if you'd like. And so that's really critical to understand. But there is a movement in Western culture today that is seeking to eradicate the sovereignty of the individual. They call it progressivism, but it's not progressive at all. It's actually regressive. It's going back to ideologies from 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago that broke people down into groups, you know, hierarchies of groups. Your only value is dependent upon what group they associate you with. And so they're doing this over and over again. And in order to do this, what they have to do is they have to eradicate this notion of individual sovereignty. Okay. And they have to go back to it. Now it may not be as difficult as you think because the whole notion of personal sovereignty protected in a constitution or a government document is very unique. It didn't exist until 250 years ago. Mm. So you look at seven to 8,000 years of recorded human history and you don't have that ever until now. We were the great experiment. We're the great experiment. And so what's interesting though, is that even Western civilization cultures now are trying to eradicate this notion of individual uh, sovereignty, particularly as it comes up in the notion of celebrating Christmas, you know, let's, let's secularize and sterilize Christmas so that we can maintain all of the good stuff. Right. And that we think is good and get rid of all the stuff that we don't like or think is offensive. But the problem is if you get rid of what you think is offensive, you actually get rid of all the good stuff. They Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Uh, I was just reading an article about, uh, uh, there was the European union and they commissioned the European commission and the European union rolled out a 32 page document in October titled guidelines on inclusive communication. And it featured a kind of inclusion that aims to exclude and entirely erase the Christmas holiday and Christianity in general. They quote from the document, not everyone celebrates the Christian holidays and not all Christians celebrate them on the same dates said the document, which encouraged people to replace the word Christmas with holiday and Christmas time with holiday time. It counseled speakers to avoid divisive phrases such as ladies and gentlemen, which furthers the general, uh, the gender binary problem. The EU leadership said that these speech restrictions will help create a union of equality. So you see, this is the reasoning. And that is, is that, well, we're going to be more at peace. We're going to be more equal. We're going to be more on the same page. If we get rid of these objective truths from which all of these principles have come from, and the guidelines were published by an Italian paper called Il Gionale. And it was on the first Monday of Advent. So on the first Monday of the Advent season, which is a celebration of Christmas, There was this massive backlash all across Europe. As a matter of fact, it was such a big deal that the Pope came out and the Pope said, this stuff is like the attempt to erase Christianity and Christian holidays to the Nazis and communist totalitarian regimes of the recent past. Boy, Pope Francis was not. He's, he got salty. He got salty. He must have been listening to the podcast. He, he, this is what he says. In history, many, many, many dictatorships have, hi, have tried to do this very thing. He said, think of Napoleon. And from there, think of the Nazi dictatorship. 
think of the communist dictatorship. And so I think it's really important to understand is that our celebration of Christmas is that we're celebrating Jesus, not all the fun stuff. What we're celebrating is where it all comes from. And let's never forget that because Jesus Christmas, once you get rid of Jesus, all that other stuff, you've got dough that will never rise. So let's talk a little bit more about this idea that this quote unquote progressivism, uh, furthering or trying to remove Jesus from, uh, Christmas altogether. Why do they seek to secularize the society as a whole? Like why, what's the, what's the reasoning behind it besides this idea of being more inclusive? Well, I think, you know, the secularism, the, the syllogism, the logic goes like this, things that are not overly specific. They're not ideologically driven, have broader appeal. Case in point, Bing Crosby's I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas is more popular than Buddy Green's Mary Did You Know. You know, Mary Did You Know, where he sings about her, you know, Mary, the, did you know that your baby would save the world? Right. So everybody knows White Christmas. Mm-hmm. Jewish people and secularists and atheists will sing White Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so on the surface, you look at that, right? And you think to yourself, wow, that brought every, it brings people from different ideologies and religions together. They have something in common. Well, that is true at that level, but that's also like saying, well, we all eat food, right? So let's just have food that brings us let's just all have together. Yeah. <laughs> so the Grinch who stole Christmas, uh, Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer are more popular movies than the movie, the nativity story, which is a story of Joseph taking Mary as his wife and then mo- taking her to Bethlehem to give birth mm. and how difficult, even though the gospels just basically kind of skim over that real quick how difficult that was going to be for a young pregnant woman and a guy who had no means Mm -hmm. and how far they had to travel on foot. It's a long way. Right. And so the movie's about that, but very few people have seen that movie. It's an excellent movie. It's well done. It's well produced, but more people know about Rudolph the red nosed reindeer than they know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It seems like. Right. So secularism kind of has that as a, is an, and and, uh, kind of an ideological framework. And so they make assumption and this assumption is very dangerous, but it happens. And that is, well, if a nondescript, non-ideological, non-truth claiming, you know, nothing specific song like white Christmas is more popular than Mary. Did you know, or the Grinch who stole Christmas is more popular than focusing on Jesus. Then let's get rid of all the absolutes. Let's get rid of all objective truth claims. We'll have, it'll give us a broader appeal and this will create peace and unity, but it is a lie. It is a lie because it doesn't take into account. Number one is all these different people who like Bing Crosby's dreaming of a white Christmas already have truth claims that they've adopted. And the reason why they adopt that one is because, because it's nondescript, it doesn't violate their truth claim but they're never going to let go of their truth game. This is why I'm a big critic of the coexist bumper sticker. You know, people like that. They go, Oh, it's so nice. It's such a great thing. And you, you should really, why, why would you want to criticize that? And I said, because at its core, you don't understand the arrogance of your position. Okay. What you're doing is you are demanding, you're making an absolute truth claim that in order for us to get along, all of these people have to drop their truth claims. 
So you don't understand when you put that bumper sticker on your car, what you're demanding of everybody else. Well, and on the other side, you're also saying it doesn't matter. They're all the same. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that you're, you're either saying you got to fall in line or you're saying none of it matters anyway. So yeah. get over it. Which is a massive truth claim and it's offensive. Right. You see, it's offensive. It's offensive to me. It's offensive to Muslims. It's offensive to Jewish people. And so you think that you're all high and mighty, that you love peace. But I would say to you, if you put that bumper sticker on your car, there's three things that you don't understand. Number one, you don't understand history. You may have never even read a history book because you have no idea where peace comes from. Number two is I'd say that you're making assumptions that you've never even thought through in your own life. And you can't even live your own life according to your own assumptions. You can't even do that. And number three is that you're probably one of the most self-centered, narcissistic, arrogant people that, that anybody else could meet because you believe that you're right above everybody else without ever even investigating the veracity of the claims of these different belief systems. So be careful about slapping something on your car. So you can't get rid of absolutes. You, you can't get rid of objective truth claims for a broader appeal because this will never create peace and unity because secularists and people who do this, they don't want freedom of the individual, right? They want control of the individual. Why do you think they got rid or, or why do you think up until the constitution of the United States put it in a political document, the individual sovereignty was never acknowledged by the government. Why do you think governments in all history? Why is that? Why did the Romans enslave, you know, half of their population? Why, why is it that there were, uh, King Henry the eighth instituted the divine right of Kings? Why is it that, you know, a certain person, you know, their bloodline made them rulership quality and somebody else not, this isn't biblical. This isn't gospel oriented at all. What happened is, is that by regressing back to this, by getting rid of the individual sovereignty, it allows you in the name of whatever you want to get rid of true justice. It allows you to do whatever you want in order to create unjust systems, just like this article or this commissioned report from the European Union. You can dictate what people can say and cannot say. Now, this ideology that they're propagating is a denigration of the individual. It's dehumanizing of the individual. This is where socialism comes from. Communism comes from. This is where critical race theory comes from. This is where cancel culture comes from. This is where all of the divisive, violent problems that we have in our own society and across the world today come from is when people are denigrating the value of human beings instead of enhancing it. So with this thought process of uh, wanting to secularize and take control, a vibrant Bible believing Jesus centered church would probably be a thorn in their side to this plan. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you all you got to do is read history. Lenin had to de-emphasize the church and sideline it. What's interesting at the time, the Russian Orthodox church, which is a subset of Eastern Orthodoxy made it really, really easy for them. You know how they made it easy for Lenin to de-emphasize the church mm. is because they became very politically political in their orientation. They aligned themselves with the ruling power at the time. So they, they, so they lost their credibility. Uh, this is why Adolf Hitler basically took over the Lutheran church. 
you know, um, there's early on these, a lot of these have been scrubbed through history. They're very difficult to find, but there was a thing where they took the nasty swastika and they superimposed it over the Lutheran cross. Now, if you've ever seen a Lutheran cross, uh, the Lutheran church's cross is basically, it has a cross with a wreath in the center of it, like a circle. And then if you look at that, you can superimpose the swastika right over the center of it without any problem. And that's what Adolf Hitler did. And Adolf Hitler met with the church and he basically said, I'll let you exist as long as you don't oppose us kind of in a nutshell. And and they all agreed. There was only one famous guy that was a Lutheran pastor who's opposed Nazism right and left. And his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he was executed Uh, in some of his literature that he wrote while he was in prison before he was executed. He was hung two weeks before his camp was set free by the allied forces. By the way, this is why Mao outlawed the church. Mao, Mao outlawed the church, and the first thing that uh, Mao Zedong did in the Cultural Revolution is he basically went and got rid of all the educated people. You know, you don't want people who have truth claims. You don't want people who have intelligence. You don't want people thinking for yourself. As a matter of fact, today, there's a massive resurgence under Xi Jinping in China today. It's a massive crackdown on Christianity in China right now. Uh, just recently, I was over at my brother-in-law's house, and he's adopted. He and his wife adopted two uh, uh, boys from China who are deaf because they they were going to be in orphanages their whole life. Nobody would really want them, and so uh, there was a gal who went over there, and she kind of started an orphanage. She would take these kids that nobody would want because they were deaf or they're handicapped in some way. And so what happened is just recently she had to flee because they arrested her. They interrogated her over and over again for 18 hours, 20 hours, over and over and over again and saying that uh, she's not an American citizen, she's a German citizen. Mm -hmm. And they said to her over and over, if you were an American citizen, we'd throw you in prison because you're talking about Jesus in our country and that's illegal, Mm -hmm. you know? It didn't matter that she's saving all these kids. It doesn't matter all all the things. And so she fled. And this is what she said. I have lived in China for, you know, 20 years, 25 years. And I never realized how evil the CCP was until this happened to me. And there's a massive crackdown right now because Xi Jinping cannot bring about his communist utopia unless he gets rid of the church. Mm. He has to destroy it. But as the Russians found out, the communists found out, uh, one communist leader once said, they said, well, what we found out about the church is it's like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes, <laughs> you know? So the number one people group persecuted in the world today is Christians. No one else comes to even close. The murder, the imprisonment, all of these things, no, any, no other people group in the world comes close to the persecution that the world propagates on Christianity. Why is that? Is that a coincidence? Or is it because there is an evil in this world propagated by Satan that seeks to dehumanize and destroy people? And the thing that stands in the way of his agenda and modifying the hearts and minds of governments and social movements across the globe is Jesus. Get rid of Jesus and we can win. So we only have a few minutes left. Um, What, I mean, we are blessed in America to have protection as a church um, under the constitution. What does the church need to be aware of though? Well, I, I think, you know, I, I, I want to make this point over and over again, and it's really important to understand, but it, it's a nuanced point, but it's critical. And it's like math. If you don't do the first step properly, then the next step won't make any sense. And that is this. Christianity is not a political system. 
Christianity is not democracy. Christianity is not monarchy. It's not a parliamentary. It's not totalitarian. It's not a governmental political system. Number one, it's not an economic system. All right. It's not a free market system. It's not a uh, command and control system. It's, it's not a feudal system. It's none of those things. Christianity is not a social system or a hierarchy uh, set up. What it is at its core is a truth claim about Jesus and human beings. Christianity at its core is this is what it means to be a human being. I want to describe who you are to yourself so that you can understand why you do what you do and where you're at. And then I'm going to tell you about who I am. Jesus says, this is who I am. And this is why I came in order to fix that, that causes all of your individual problems and taint your soul. That's the gospel message at its core. That is the objective truth. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The apostle Paul wrote the reality is this objective truth then leads to all sorts of political theory. It leads to all sorts of social theory. It leads to all sorts of economic theory. In other words, this basic truth that you as an individual matter to God, it blows the whole notion that you can enslave another person against their will out of the water. Mm. You have an objective truth that says, yeah, you can do that. Okay. We're going to fight against that. Will human beings try to do it? Yep. They always try. They always try. They always try. The fact that slavery exists isn't the issue. The issue is who stopped it and why, you know, who stopped it and why? Number two, it has political theory. And that is, well, where did the notion of democracy come from? That people should have, because up until 250 years ago, the whole notion that people should be able to govern themselves was a joke. Mm. The, the, the people who ruled believed, well, they are genetically inferior. They don't have the intelligence to be able to govern themselves. Well, where did all those ideas come from? A lot of people are not worried about this. Here's a little brief history lesson. But uh, when we went back to Boston, I toured a replica of the Mayflower. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of digging into the derivation or where did the pilgrims, you know, I knew they were Puritans and I know what Puritans believe, but really they were kind of a subset of Puritans. And this is what I found out is that what people are not aware of is that King Henry VIII, who, right after the Protestant Reformation started in Germany, he wanted to divorce his wife, but he was in a political fight with the Pope and the Pope said no. So he broke off. So he used the Reformation as an opportunity to break off and he, he created the Anglican church or the church of England where he was the head and he could do whatever he wanted. Right. Right. And so what happened is then he died and his daughter, Mary took over and Mary was a committed Catholic and she became known as bloody Mary because she, what she did is she went through and she started executing all of the church of England leadership and people. She, cause she wanted England to go back to being Roman Catholic. Okay. Well, then she died. Her reign wasn't very long. And then her sister took over uh, her, her half sister and her after sister said, I'm going to take King Henry's, um, position and keep the Anglican church as the or church of England is where England should go. Well, during bloody Mary, the church went underground, right? And because the leadership was being killed, they started a congregational form of leadership. And that is, is that they would get in these little groups and then they would vote on whether or not a person could become a part of the church because you don't want to bring a treasonous person or someone who's going to betray you right, right into the group. And so they started, they would vote on everything. So they had this congregational 
kind of modality. And what happened is then when Mary died and her sister took over and went back, she wanted to bring the church of England back. And so a lot of these underground churches came out, but she wanted to control them politically. She wanted to use them to political ends. And so some of those groups said, yeah, we don't want to do that. And there was a guy by the name of Brown and they were called Brown separatists. And they said, yeah, we're not going to be a part of the King, uh, the church of England. We're going to continue to be congregationally led churches, right? Well, they were persecuted for that. So they fled to the Netherlands and then that's those were the, the pilgrims were Puritans, but they were Brown separatists, you see. And so then they came over and now when you go back to, to New England and you go back up there to where the Mayflower is in Massachusetts, Cape Cod, and you drive through New Hampshire and Vermont, every corner there's a Congregationalist church. Mm. And what's really interesting though is that it started out as a, a Congregational church is basically a pure democracy. We vote on everything, you know? And what ended up happening is, is that because it was driven that way, it lost its focus. So it just became whatever the wind of the age is. And so that's why so many of those congregational churches are dying because whatever the wind of the age is, that's what they want to, to propagate. They removed the objective truth of the gospel. So, so in essence, what this teaches us is if you remove Christianity the, that Jesus is what Christmas is, you remove the basis or the foundation on which all of these other things are built, political theory, economic theory, social theory, and it makes it possible to do anything you want. And so that's why the church is such a threat, but not any church. You see, not a congregational church, that's not a threat. Mm. What, what is a threat is a Bible-believing, Jesus-centered, vibrant faith community those are the most dangerous in the direction of where progressivism wants to take our society. Those are the ones that are most a threat. Those are the ones that are being, I think, attacked the most. And so what we need to do as a church is we need to always re avoid the temptation to reflect all the values of the culture. We must always be committed to the values of the gospel and we should never change that. And that's why this series is called Jesus is Christmas, because if you get rid of Jesus, you ain't going to have no Christmas. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Pastor. Um, I know you're going to be talking a little bit more about it on Sunday uh, during your sermon. Yes. But we just appreciate you guys joining us, learning more about who you are and why you believe what you do, and getting a little bit of a history lesson, how it's affecting <laughs> us today, um, all here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Merry Christmas.